You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. It is good to see you. And uh, yes, welcome in. It's good. I'm really glad we have a place to meet. Uh, I want to start uh, by just uh, giving everyone an update on our building. Uh, So you may or may not have gotten a video uh, that was kind of just basically an update video explaining, giving you a little bit of tour of the new crib, uh, which is basically from about my height down, just empty. Okay, we took all the drywall out and everything. Uh, the sprinkler system had busted and had spilled some water pretty much everywhere. Uh, make sure you thank Brendan and Ty for the awesome video of them reacting to the flood. That was the most amazing thing. If you haven't seen it, uh, you need to get a hold of that video. It's hilarious. Uh, but they were both very heroic, dropped their things, uh, and went in to the flood. So we're very grateful for that. Um, So we're obviously going to be meeting here. Uh, Glad you made it. Uh, We're going to be in this uh, location for uh, probably a minimum of six to eight weeks while everything gets fixed over there. Uh, And so you can expect that. We'll try to keep you updated as the process goes. It obviously could extend farther. Uh, We'll let you guys know. But I do want to let you know that uh, we're going to be pretty much continuing uh, business as usual here at Providence. And so uh, our Uh, new members uh, class and members meetings and all the stuff that we normally do is still going to be happening at Providence. Uh, It's just going to be taking place here uh, instead of elsewhere. Uh, We're also hoping to open up childcare very soon. Um, The only thing that's going to be postponed is the Providence Road Academy. So uh, if you signed up for that, uh, I do apologize for that. We're going to have to kind of punt that ball a little further down the field until we kind of get a feel for how long it's going to take to get back in our facility and what all that will look like. But outside of that, uh, like I said, kind of business as usual. Uh, also, if you have actually personally been impacted by everything that happened, maybe your home uh, got some water in it or you, you basically just having some issues, uh, we just want to encourage you to reach out to your home group leader. Uh, we are hoping uh, through our home groups to be able to kind of mitigate some of that and, and help you out. So just uh, let your home group leader know. If you don't have a home group, uh, go see someone at the Connect booth. We'd love to get you kind of connected with someone and, and at least give them information so we can help you out and uh, see what we can do. Uh, and so, yeah. That is uh, pretty much the update I think I have. Uh, But outside of that, I'd love to start off in prayer and just pray this morning for the word uh, and we'll get started. So once again, thank you for being here and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you that we get to be here gathered as your body uh, to hear it and to learn from it and to be changed by it. We ask for strength to focus, to hear Uh, ears to hear, eyes to see. God, we want to know you. We want to know your word deeply. And so help us, God. Be gracious, Holy Spirit, to move in power among us, to give us faith and understanding and joy. We acknowledge that the enemy doesn't want that to happen. And God, that you are (laughs) all-powerful and God, you long for us to be changed. And so, God, would you do that this morning? Would you help us to be um, not distracted, but focused, not worried, but peaceful, not hardened, but excited to know you and your word? And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So like Lauren said, we've been walking uh, through this series. just started last week uh, with the transfiguration. We're kind of coming into this week. Uh, pretty crazy story of Jesus casting out a demon from a boy that had been possessed by a demon and or demons for a long time since he was young. Uh, pretty epic scene um, and, and a lot going on here, but we're going to kind of focus on the theme of faith today. 
and, and what Jesus would have us learn from this instance about our faith and about having faith in him. Uh, so I want to start off by just defining faith. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's a very, very good definition, obviously, because it's in the Bible, but also because it's awesome. All right. And so what the Bible says here is faith is an actual assurance. Assurance means that it is, it is, is certain, right? An assurance, assur- assurance, wow, that's really bad. Sorry about that. Assurance, there we go. Get that out. Um, Got to do it now, okay? It's warming up, getting going. Um, of things hoped for. It's a conviction of the things that we do not see. So I want to say this very clearly. Faith, the Christian faith, is not a blind faith. You probably heard that terminology a lot, right? No, it's just a blind faith. It's a leap of faith, right? You just kind of jump in, see what happens on the other side when you wake up into eternity, right? It's like this kind of not really sure what's going to happen, but I'm somewhat excited, somewhat scared. That's not what our faith is. Now, I remember growing up, I grew up by the Ohio River uh, up north, uh, and it's a, it's a pretty big river. Uh, I know particularly in my hometown there in West Virginia, it was kind of notorious for a few things. Uh, one, it was notorious because there's like these like river rats, almost look like, you know, chupacabra or something that was there. Uh, also, if you kind of dipped in there, it was likely you would get some type of disease for the rest of your life, you know. It's like Lake Houston. You jump in, jump out, you kind of walk with a limp, or you got something kind of off with your vision. Same thing. Uh, also, a little more scary, uh, it had like this huge undercurrent. Uh, so there was like, more than a regular thing that like a kid would fall in and die because he got swept under the current and stuff like that. And so that was always a big thing. You know, parents always had to talk, hey, stay away from the river. You know, don't swim in the wrong spots, that kind of stuff. But it was also the 90s, so you could still kind of do whatever you wanted and just kind of go off and explore. And I remember my friend Jordan and I one time uh, were going to the river and hanging out. We were on this place called the Island. Now it's like a big drug place, but before it was kind of nice little neighborhood. And we were by the river. And uh, often along the river, you'd find these little mud spots where you can kind of sink in the mud a little bit. And uh, we happened to kind of come to this place where there's like a spill out and you kind of jump off this concrete wall. And so we were like, yeah, we're going to do it. We talked each other up, like we're just going to jump in. If we get muddy, it's whatever. You know, it was kind of one of those things where you're not sure if it's this ground. So you're preparing to like hit and roll, uh, but you could sink a little bit, maybe ankle deep in the mud. And so we both kind of like, we're a little nervous. We're like, okay, we're not going to test it out. We're just going to jump in and do it. And so we both got to the, the edge of the precipice there. Uh, we looked at each other and said, let's do this. We jumped in and then uh, I was pretty short like I am now, but even shorter uh, in middle school. It's like sixth grade and we landed and I was like up to here in mud when we landed and we both looked at each other like in horror of what happened, right? And we kind of drag each other out and obviously we survived. Uh, but my point uh, and you can see how this relates to the blind faith, is that that's not what's happening here in the Christian faith. We're not jumping in the hopes that we're going to be able to hit the ground and roll and be fine. Uh, or the other thing, we jump and we sink, right? Like it's not what's happening in our faith. Our faith is real. It's tangible. There's an assurance of things that we have hope for. We are confident. That's what faith is. It's not this like absolute uncertainty that we kind of navigate through and just kind of learn to live with. Though I think many people who profess Christianity do that. I think that's kind of common in our culture, but, but our faith is, is something more. And there's so much to be said about faith and the specific context of faith in this scenario. But I just want to remind us that there is a confidence, there is a, an assurance that we can have in our lives about who we believe in. And Jesus is trying to communicate that. And he is distraught, probably a little bit angry and heartbroken that the disciples are not getting that. That there is a confidence in the God-man Jesus Christ, that we should have and can have. And Jesus offers us that faith today.
So let's talk about the scene here. This is like right after the transfiguration. Jesus has this moment, which we talked about last week, where he reveals uh, his glory to Peter, James, and John, this crazy moment. And as they're coming down the mountain, they get into the scenario where the other disciples have been trying to cast out this demon and were unsuccessful. And this is where Jesus steps on the scene. So let's kind of read through it together. Starting verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. There's this demon that manifests in ways where it kind of throws him into these epileptic fits where he falls down, sometimes into fire, sometimes into water, obviously probably trying to harm him and kill him. Uh, And it's been happening since he was a young boy and the father is desperately playing for the Lord to do something about it because the disciples who were supposed to be representing Jesus were not able to do it. Uh, Also, just so you know, I'm gonna mention some things uh, that are also from the account of this same story in Mark 9. Uh, so before you think I'm an a obvious heretic, you can check uh, Mark 9 as well for some things that happen in the context. But then here's how Jesus responds when he hears what's happening. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. So Jesus, in I think compassion and probably a little bit of frustration, uh, sees this, sees what's happening, and just is, is sad, is heartbroken about what's happening to the disciples. He says, how long am I going to be here, right? He's going to leave, right? He's going to die, give his life, and ascend, and send the Spirit. And he acknowledges their faith, says, bring him here to me. And then Jesus shows his power in verse 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. So Jesus shows his power. Uh, in verse 19 to 21, Jesus gives an explanation here of, of, of why this context is, is happening. Here's what he says. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is a bold statement, often taken out of context. We'll get to that later. But this is a bold statement from Jesus. He says, look, if you have just a little bit of faith, just a little bit, you can do amazing things. He gives this example. I think he's being uh, somewhat of a, he's just shooting for the the craziest example. I don't think he's saying that we should try this, but he's saying that, look, look, even if you say to that mountain, look, get up and go that way. Obviously impossible, right? Have you ever tried? Um, Sorry, did my microphone cut out? You can still hear me? Okay, we're cool. Good. Um, So, he says, you be able to say to this mountain, get up and move, and it's going to be moved. This is a crazy statement. But Jesus, what he's doing right here is he's diagnosing the problem, which is the disciples did not have faith in him. And then he's also kind of offering somewhat of a solution. And we'll get to that. But this is kind of the context of what's happening. This is a wild scene. If we saw this today with our modern worldview, we'd probably be scared out of our mind. Right? This is just a crazy moment. But Jesus, I think, through his life and words in this moment, is giving us some things that I pray embolden our faith in him. And then we'll talk about how we apply this. Uh, But let's look at those things. So the first thing I wanna say um, is we can have faith that Jesus is patient when we lack it, it being faith, okay? We can have faith that Jesus is patient when we lack faith. 
This is important, okay? There's kind of four people I want to acknowledge here in this context. Some are groups, some are individuals that happen. So let's kind of run through them really quick. From the Mark 9 uh, rendition of this story, we understand that the Sadducees are there, okay? The Sadducees were men uh, who studied the law of God very intricately. They were very wise in the Old Covenant scriptures, uh, and and they could talk their way around most people uh, sevenfold. I mean, these these guys were just amazing in what they could do. They also uh, hated Jesus. Oftentimes they, they, they teamed up with the Pharisees to prove that Jesus was a liar. Um, and sometimes they were against the Pharisees because of some doctrinal issues. But nonetheless, they, they were adamantly against Jesus, so much so that often the Sadducees are found trying to make Jesus stumble in his words so that they could prove he is definitely not who he said he was, right? Because this is a man walking around claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God himself, right? And this made them mad. And so you got the Sadducees there. You also have uh, the boy who's possessed by a demon who in this context is, is utterly helpless and in need of rescuing. You have the father um, who is really at his wit's end, probably uh, begging Jesus to fix this situation for his son. And then you have the disciples uh, who were those lacking faith. Now we're gonna kind of walk through each one of these and kind of talk the context about how Jesus shows his power and his patience to them. That's really cool. Uh, so the first is the Sadducees. So um, like I said, these guys were haters of Jesus, uh, very adamant about their religion and about the law, believed, I think, with all of their hearts that they loved God, were honoring God, were serving God, and yet could not acknowledge and see that God was right in front of them, okay? And they were constantly trying to do this. And in Mark 9 uh, context, it says that actually when Jesus walks on the scene, the Sadducees and the disciples are having an argument. Now, I am not at liberty to discuss what the argument is because I was not there, but I'm just going to take some creative license here. They were probably arguing about the disciples' failure and inability to cast out the demons. See, the Sadducees were religious leaders that had probably cast out many demons in the context of their lives, and I've seen the Pharisees do this too. And so they're probably looking at the disciples saying, like, look, you know, you claim this Jesus is real. You can't even cast this demon out. You have no power over darkness. There's no power to your witness, right? And so they probably had this argument back and forth. But what Jesus does, and I think this is a very gracious thing for the Sadducees and for the rest there, is Jesus is going to come on the scene, though he had already been discussing and done many miracles and shown them that he really was the Messiah and who he said he was. He's going to come on the scene and he's going to just cast the demon out like it's nothing. He's just going to say, get out, and it leaves. And Jesus, in this moment, if you will, is flexing his power for the Sadducees to see. And I think this is awesome because the Sadducees were so hard-hearted and against Christ, yet he shows them his power. Now, this, you know, when God does this to people that are hardened, it could either lead to their damnation because they see it and get hardened, they refused in their sin to believe what they saw, or it could be a gracious thing that shows them that he's the truth. I don't know what happened to the Sadducees in this context. doesn't really give us a response by them. Probably it was embarrassment and shame and they ran away at some point. But um, I think nonetheless that it was a gracious thing for Jesus to step in to people who did not care about him, rather wanted to kill him and show his power and grace. This is a merciful thing Jesus does. Second people is, uh, second person is the boy. He was possessed by this darkness from his youth, okay? So it seems like there were probably a legion of demons inside of him because the disciples couldn't handle it. I don't know how that works exactly. Um, But this was a tough situation. He was gripped by the power of darkness that reigned in him, okay? This boy was absolutely and utterly helpless. 
This is important to acknowledge because this is every single one of us in here, okay? He was under the grips of darkness and there's nothing he could do to rescue himself from that grip, right? And Jesus steps in very mercifully in his power and says, be gone. And he rescues him. I love this because this should be an encouragement for all of us. All of us that are gripped by sin, gripped by darkness, whether it's demonic or whether it's your own depravity and vileness, no one is too far for the Lord to come in and in an instant make things better. I love that. When you are struggling with habitual sin, let this be an encouragement that Jesus is willing and has the power to step in and to rescue you. It's an amazing thing. Third person is the father. Um, the father had you know, seen the disciples fail and I'm sure was probably at his uh, wit's end. This was like his last option, right? He tried a lot of things and nothing uh, could rescue his boy. And so he says, well, I heard about this Jesus who does miracles, so I'll go and see what his disciples can do. His disciples can't do it. Uh, it doesn't give us the context, uh, but he seems desperate. In Mark 9, uh, he actually comes up to Jesus and Jesus acknowledges his lack of faith. And, and, and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my own belief. This big cry, it says, God, like, I know you're powerful. All right? I know you can do it. I know you've healed people, Jesus. I know you have the ability, but help my unbelief. He even has the audacity to come up to Jesus and say, well, if you want to, you could do it. I know if you're willing, right? And Jesus says, if I'm willing, right? It's like this big like moment where Jesus says, duh, right? I'm willing. And Jesus steps in after he cries out from the bottom of his heart about his lack of belief. And Jesus steps in and, and heals his boy. Can't imagine the father and what he felt in that moment of Jesus' power and mercy to his son and his situation. And so I think that bleeds into, we have other people probably that are in our lives or maybe have been in our lives that are under the power of darkness. And I just pray that we acknowledge that Jesus is willing and able, once again, in compassion, to step in and be patient with those that are trapped in darkness. I love that. Right now, today, in the age of salvation, yes, Jesus is coming back and he will exact vengeance on those who don't believe. But right now, he is holding out in compassion and in patience, saying, come Come to me, right? It's to be encouragement to us. Last people are the disciples. Um, the disciples just get rebuked here. I mean, there's no way around it. I think Jesus is compassionate, but they get rebuked for their lack of faith. Jesus is distraught. He's troubled at their failure, at their inability to believe. And you gotta think about this. Jesus is God, right? Everyone exists because Jesus created you. So the Jesus who created his disciples and the whole world is just baffled. He's not baffled. He's never confused. He's all-knowing. But uh, he's just so distraught at their lack of faith, right? It's like, God, Jesus has walked with them for the past three and a half years. He showed them so many miracles, so many signs of his power, and they just don't believe. And Jesus looks and says, gosh, how long am I going to be here with you, right? I love seeing the compassion of Jesus when he weeps, when he's distraught, when he's, you see his heart that cares, and Jesus gives them, in a very gracious way, the diagnosis of what's going on in their hearts and then how to fix it. I love that Jesus steps into this. See, Jesus is going to absolutely 100% step into your life and he is going to clean house. He is going to make you acknowledge and he is going to shed light on and he is going to show you all of your darkness, all of your vileness, that you might repent and believe. It is a gracious thing that he does this and he does this to the disciples in an amazing and profound way. 
So if you're someone who feels like I got like no ounce of faith inside of my soul right now, Jesus is patient. And we can have confidence and faith that when he steps in, things are made new, things are made better, things are acknowledged, and he cleanses us. And this is a beautiful thing. So we can have faith that Jesus is patient when we are not faithful. Number two, we can have faith that Jesus is in control of darkness. I love this. This is important. Jesus is in absolute control of all the darkness. All the darkness, Satan, demons, sin is all subject to our King Jesus. He's in control of it all. The disciples, um, they've faced demonic possessions before. Like I said, you know, they've cast out demons. They've done all these kind of mighty works. Uh, but they seem to be arrived at a tense moment where still, yet again, they cannot overcome the darkness that they are faced with, and Jesus steps in and in an instant handles it. And I think this teaches us a few things about not only the power of God, but about ourselves. So I want to just kind of roll through a few things. One, I think clearly this story highlights first and foremost that Jesus is in control over Satan and demons. I think this is important to acknowledge, right? I, I think in our modern society, well, if we would have seen the episode of this kid, we would have immediately thought, man, this guy needs to go see a doctor. This guy needs to get drugs to fix whatever's going on, and he's going to be fine. Now, I'm not saying those are bad mentalities. Uh, I think that's very important, and uh, I'm not knocking modern science and society. But we are far too easy to relegate everything to science as opposed to acknowledging the spiritual darkness that exists in the world. But you've got to remember the words of Paul, right? Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers of darkness in this age, right? And so demons are real. Satan is real. There's a real enemy that we have to acknowledge here when we face texts like this. I know it's so hard because your only experience of this may be like you watched, you know, the exorcist or something like that. And then you're like, wow, that's strange. I hope it never happens. And then you just kind of move on with your life, right? But, but, but these things are real. Well, there, there is an enemy, there is powers of darkness that we must acknowledge and acknowledge that Jesus is in absolute control over all of them. Uh, also, Jesus has power over the constraining power of sin in ourselves and in others. This is also important. We carry about us a darkness. We are uh, depraved, if you will. We, we have sin that has affected our very being and continues to affect us. And Jesus is totally powerful. So this should highlight some things in your mind when we think about these truths. One, the seriousness of sin and darkness. We have to acknowledge it's serious. It's a battle. Court preached two weeks ago about the seriousness of sin, its desire to overtake us and consume us and kill us, right? And how we must be killing it. I think also um, it should help us acknowledge that we're helpless without Jesus. (laughs) I know that's like obvious, right? Uh, It's probably been obvious if you've had faith for any amount of time, but just want to acknowledge it again that we are absolutely, utterly helpless. At any given moment, we could be thrown into a fit of convulsion that throws us into fire to destroy us, that throws us in the water to destroy us. This boy had absolutely no control over his situation. He isn't like, okay, I want it to come now, let's do this. No, it controlled him. It convulsed him. It took over his life and ruined his life. And in the same way, guys, we're utterly helpless. The sooner we acknowledge that, the sooner our life can blossom with a renewed faith and joy in who the Lord is. But the longer we go on not acknowledging that we are utterly helpless and wicked, we we will not have faith. We won't. Your passion 
for self-righteousness destroys your faith. Your passion for self-righteousness utterly robs you from faith in Christ. You have to acknowledge you are helpless. And Jesus, in a very gracious way, not only with the boy and the father, but with the Sadducees, the crowd, and the disciples, is trying to help us acknowledge what's going on. That he's in control. He's the powerful one. He's the holy one. He's the good one. And we're in desperate need of him. And then lastly, like the point mentioned, Jesus has all power in his hands. Our Jesus is not to be trifled with. Our Jesus is not weak. Our Jesus is not wanting anything. He is all-powerful. He is in control. He is sovereign. He is stable. He is the rock of ages. Amen. Hudson Taylor acknowledged this in a quote that I thought was very helpful. Um, I wish I had more time to tell you of Hudson Taylor's story about his missions in China. Very cool man. Look him up. Uh, He said this, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. I love that. I I love history. I love reading the the history of the church and all these men uh, like Martin Luther and the Reformation and all these guys just did amazing things in the mission field. Uh, And I love that Hudson Taylor acknowledges him being really one of these guys. Um, That all of God's giants, he's that term, but just weak men. all they are as a weak man I just kind of reckoned and believed that God would be with them because he said that he would be they were men of faith they weren't strong I mean you start to read some of these biographies and you realize man these guys were awful people I mean they were there's just some darkness in in all of our lives and we're awful too we could just celebrate that together but what makes great faith is just weak men and women acknowledging that there's absolutely nothing we can do without the Lord And that's a good truth to highlight here. And Jesus is exclamation point, exclamation point. You can do nothing apart from me. (laughs) Now let me step in and fix the situation. And that's what Jesus is reminding us this morning. Um, Thirdly, um, we can have faith that small faith accomplishes much. I acknowledge last gathering that I felt like a third grader wrote that sentence and I apologize. All right, I just... It came to me, I wrote it down, I never fixed it. I even had time to fix it between gatherings, and I didn't, all right? But the truth stands, okay? We can have confidence that our small little faith, like that of a mustard seed, right, accomplishes a lot. It accomplishes much. Very important to recognize. Jesus did not present here a scale or spectrum of faith that you can kind of level up to, okay? It's not like the carnival game where you take the hammer and you hit the whatever and it shoots up and you see how far you can get, all right? That's not what Jesus is doing here. He's not trying to see if you can measure your faith in ticks or something. What he's saying is that even a small amount of faith can accomplish much. He's not giving you a spectrum that says, oh, but if you graduate to this kind of faith class, then, oh my goodness, not only could you move mountains, but you could say to that planet, get up and move. That's not what he's doing here, okay? He's saying that even small faith in Christ, because the power is not in our faith, it's in the God of faith, right? That's what he's acknowledging here. Um, so I pray that you're encouraged about this and not deflated, okay? Don't be deflated, okay? We already acknowledged we are helpless, all right? We're helpless, we're lost, we can't do it. But... In the context of just an ounce of faith, Jesus says that he'll be able to do impossible things. I I hope that encourages you. 
I hope you leave here feeling like I'm about to go move mountains. Not because you're great, but because Jesus is. Okay. I want to give a word on the context of, uh, of, of faith in Christ and his control and sovereignty. And then I want to move on to maybe the context of this promise and how we apply it in our lives. Okay. So uh, faith in God and, and God acknowledging that if you have faith, you'll do amazing things. And God's absolute sovereignty in the world, these are not a contradiction, but they are perfectly united to understand what faith is, okay? Now, I get it. I know there's people in all different spectrums of what you believe about God's sovereignty and how this works out in details. I'm not here to acknowledge any of that or, or, or talk against any of that. All I'm saying is that the absolute control of Jesus Christ and him moving in the context of faith, these are compatible. These not only are compatible, but they embolden one another. They don't hinder one another, Okay? Here's what I mean by that. God is in absolute control. The Bible said Jesus acknowledges that not even one sparrow falls to the ground and dies without God saying, die. Right? I mean, that's crazy. Think about that. Okay? God says, die. That also applies to you and I. You will not fall to the ground dead until God says, and now. It's time. You know? No taking it back. God is in absolute control. This is mind-blowing providence of God that he is in control of every little detail. As Spurgeon said, not even one dust moat is out of his control. That's crazy, right? But this God who is in absolute control also says that if you have faith, impossible things will happen. And in the application of this, if you don't have faith as small as a mustard seed, they won't right? The disciples couldn't cast out the demon because they didn't have faith. And and those things are not a contradiction. They are united. They are unified in thought and mind. And I thought that was important because um, oftentimes I think we're we're just too quick to fall into one ditch or the other. You could could fall in the ditch of like, well, I'm going to believe in God's sovereignty. I don't know about the whole faith thing. I've seen enough TBN to know that's some weird territory, okay? So I'm going to stay here on God's sovereignty. I'm not going to pray about it. Whatever happens, happens. Bring on the sovereignty for your glory, right? And, and, and uh, um, you could also go to the other side, like what you do see on TBN, okay, where it's like, you know, as long as you have enough faith, brother, sister, right, anything you want to happen is going to happen. What, you didn't get healed? Well, that's because you didn't have enough faith. Your dog died? Ah, oh, well, you, just, you weren't believing enough. That's why your dog died. You want to be rich? Have faith. You want, to be, you want to be healthy? Have faith. And that's a really scary ditch too, okay? If you watch TBN, I'm not judging you. I grew up in a household. My grandma always had it on, all right? And uh, I learned a lot of bad doctrines from it, so. But it's not all bad stuff on there, okay, that I'm aware of. I don't have cable, so I can't, I can't really answer that, but we'll go with it. So, one more thing that I think is going to help us applying this promise is let's look at the context this promise happens in, okay? Because it's easy to take that and run with it and apply it in many strange ways. But the context this promise happens in is the context of mission. The disciples are on mission with Jesus Christ for the salvation of people's souls, right? This is the mission they are on. They're going to preach the good news of Jesus and to save people. And the context that this promise is dropped is in that context of saving others. This mission for the glory of God that they might be rescued in to this God of faith. 
They might believe in Jesus Christ is about to be lifted up on the cross and slain for the world's sins. And we, ha- we have to acknowledge the context this promise is in because if you take it out and you get too far, you get into some strange, weird things. Now, I'm not saying this promise only applies in mission. That's not what I said, okay? But I am saying that this is the context it happens. And so we have to at least acknowledge that this promise is bent towards the glory of God and the salvation of others. Maybe I'll say it this way. This promise is not meant to be a tool for ultimate self-fulfillment. That's not why Jesus said you can move mountains. It wasn't so that you could accomplish all of your dreams. Okay? I know that's what Disney taught you, but it's not true. It's not so that you could be fulfilled in every single way. It's not that you could have a perfect life. It's not your best life now. It's not so that you don't have to worry about hardship and suffering anymore. No. See, the problem is when you take it there, what happens when you go to play the lottery and you don't win? And you say, I'm just going to believe better, man. I'm just going to pick numbers. You know, shouldn't have gone with 666. Should have picked something else, right? Or, or maybe, sorry, I had to go there. It just came to me. It's really bad. Um, or maybe in a more serious scenario, right? What happens when your spouse gets cancer and dies? Do you not have enough faith? Is that why it happened? I hope you don't believe that. I hope you don't go there. Because that's, that, that, that's not what Jesus is getting at here. It's not. He's saying, if you believe in me, have faith in me, you will see the kingdom of God move in power. You will see the glory of God displayed how it ought to be displayed. And when it's displayed that way, it has this effectual calling to draw all men unto Christ. And I long to see that. Providence, we long to see that as a church. That's why we say we want to make the gospel unignorable in our city. It's not because we want uh, to look good. It's not because we like playing this game called church. It's because we long to see the glory of God move in power. And it does with a little bit of really bad, not so good, fading, barely hanging on, faith of a mustard seed. Because we believe in God Almighty. This is so amazing and so important. And so I hope you're encouraged in here. If you feel like you're barely hanging on, if you're someone that always questions whether you really have faith or not at all, or if you're someone that's just feeling so so wrapped up in faith right now, and you just need to rub that off on us because we need it. We need it. We need to fight together. When you wake up in the morning, acknowledge this. You just want you to look in the mirror. I want you to say, I'm helpless. He's not. I'm weak. He's strong. I don't believe, but he helps me believe. Right? I don't have power over my darkness, the darkness in the world, but Jesus does. I have anxiety, he has peace. I'm impatient, he's patient. I can go on and on and on. We have to preach to ourselves. The Psalms is full of this stuff. If you read some of the Psalms, you think this guy's got split personalities or he's like preaching to himself, right? And the answer is maybe both, but he is preaching to himself. And we need to do the same with this. So I want to end with a quote from Hudson Taylor again. Um, one of the simplest and most profound quotes. I love this thing. Let's read it. When I cannot read, when I cannot think, when I cannot even pray, I can trust. 
we can trust. If you feel like, man, I just can't get in the word. I got no motivation there. Got no power there. You feel like, man, I can't even think right now with everything going on. Can't even pray to the Lord. I just feel like I'm lacking everything. In that moment, I pray you can trust. You can just lean on the only trustworthy one. See, your faith is not even trustworthy. <laughs> it's not. It fades. It fails. But we can trust in him because he's good. So, Lord, help us have faith. Let's pray together this morning. And we're going to respond in worship. You guys bow your heads with me. Father, we acknowledge this morning that, that we lack faith. God, we, we so want to be people of faith. We read about it in your word and in history about all these things that happened. We want to be a part of this, God, a part of your kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, a part of your glory being spread through the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And God, sometimes we feel like we can't even get out of bed and acknowledge that you're good. Sometimes we feel like we can't even start our day and acknowledge that you're in control, you're loving, you're patient, and you're with us and you're for us. But God, we don't want to lack faith that way. We want to have simple, childlike faith that leans on your strong hand, that leans on your everlasting power to save Oh, God, help us. We're desperate. God, would you help Providence Community Church to be a people that are not only formed around a vision, but formed around a single and compelling faith in who you are, in what you've done to win us to yourself, and the love and compassion that you display for us every single day day as we take communion and respond in worship may we cry out in desperation I believe Lord help my unbelief help me Lord Jesus to believe in you God I know you're faithful and just to answer those prayers help us we pray We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.